Welcome back to the Fit for Golf podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Mark Brody. Mark is best known in the golf world for being the inventor of the Strokes Gained Analytics System. The Strokes Gained System has revolutionized golf analytics and how players approach improvement on the PGA Tour. What many golfers do not realize is that Strokes Gained Analysis is just as valuable for the average amateur player interested in improving And as you will learn from this conversation, it is very easy to use and understand. Before we get into the conversation, I must touch on Rory McIlroy. It was great to see Rory win again, and hopefully there will be plenty more to come. In March, Rory made some interesting comments about working on increasing speed and how it led to some problems in his swing. In particular, he felt that he had less control of accuracy and he was struggling with a two-way miss due to his attempt to increase his clubhead speed and distance. To me, these were fascinating comments. At the time he made them, Rory was ranked third in strokes gained off the tee for the season, gaining nearly one shot per round versus the PGA Tour average. While he felt he was struggling, driving was still by far his biggest weapon, and just a couple of weeks beforehand in Torrey Pines, he had his best ever driving round, gaining three strokes in one single round. What I found fascinating was Rory felt speed training was the root of his problems with no mention of his other statistics. I'm going to read some of his other statistics to you now, comparing 2019 when he was by far the world's best player and won five times in an 18-month spell to the 2021 season through March, which includes nine tournaments in total. Off the tee, 2019 first, 2021 third. Approach to the green, 2019, 12th, 2021, 87th. Around the green, 2019, 19th, 2021, 80th. Putting, 2019, 24th, 2021, 90th. We're now going to break down approach distances into smaller yardage gaps so you can get an appreciation for how he was doing in each yardage category to the green, or to the hole, I should say. 50 to 75 yards, 2019, tied 69th. 2021, tied 163rd. 75 to 100 yards, 2019, tied 168th. 2021, 207th. 125 to 150 yards, 2019, 14th. 2021, tied 174th, 150 to 175 yards, 2019, tied 6th, 2021, tied 119th, 175 to 200 yards, 2019, tied 4th, 2021, tied 32nd. Now, obviously, these statistics were much different when he won this week at Wells Fargo. He was 18th off the tee, despite hitting just 34% of the fairways, 19 of 56 fairways. He was 10th in strokes gained approach, 41st in strokes gained around the green, and 3rd in strokes gained putting. How the heck was Rory able to be 18th in strokes gained off the tee and gain strokes on the field while only hitting 34% of the fairways? The reason is he is faster than ever. 
Rory's ball speed average with the driver for the week was 184.5 miles per hour. This is a 6.5 mile per hour increase from last season, which is worth approximately 13 yards of extra distance on every driver. If Rory can improve on the, sti- on the statistics I went through above, which are clearly his weakness, and maintain these speeds with the driver, he could potentially be better than we've ever seen him before. Maybe his short-term issues that he uh, puts down to his speed work will stand to him in the long term because right now he is significantly faster and longer than any season before. It's going to be exciting to watch. One last thing before we get into the episode with Mark Brody. I wanted to remind you that Fit for Golf has its own app loaded with training programs suitable for all levels of golfer. It is the only golf fitness resource you will ever need and is currently being used by six PGA Tour players, two European Tour players, and thousands of amateurs all over the world. Check it out on www.fitforgolf.blog forward slash app and use the code FFGTRIAL to get a one-month trial for just $6. You will not find it in the App Store. You must register on my website. Now to the conversation with Mark Brody. Professor Mark Brody, thank you very much for joining me. We have been in touch for a long time now as I uh, bombarded you with some questions about strokes gained and how I could use it to try and help um, my own game and some of the players I work with and just get a better understanding of high-level golf. So um, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing doing great. And I'd like to add that I'm a, a happy, satisfied user of your uh, Fit for Golf app for, for quite some time. I've put in uh, quite a few workouts and highly recommend it. It's great. That's great. Thank you very much. And I didn't even pay Mark for that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Mark, all. for anybody who isn't aware, can you just tell us a little bit about what exactly you do for work, both inside and outside of the golf world, please? So my real job is a professor at Columbia Business School here in New York City. Uh, so I teach uh, students that are getting uh, MBA degrees primarily, uh, also some other master's students and PhD students. So that's my uh, my real my real job. And then uh, the fun part of my job is I can do research on whatever I want. And for the last quite a few years, I've been uh, doing some research in golf analytics. So I work with players and coaches and caddies and the PGA Tour and the USGA on uh, sort of golf analytics type research work. Fantastic. Thank you. So, Mark, what most people who uh, know you that are listening will know you for is that you are the creator of the Strokes Gained Analytics System. I know some of the people listening to this have heard the term Strokes Gained, but do not understand how it works. Can you explain it, please, and tell us why it's so different to statistics like fairways hit, greens and regulation, up and down percentage, and putts per round, things that people are probably more familiar with? Sure. Uh, So strokes gained in uh, a couple of words is progress to the hole measured in strokes. So imagine you're starting off at the tee of a par four. Instead of thinking that you're 400 yards away, from the hole, think of yourself as being four strokes away from the hole. So in one swing of the club, an average shot would put you three strokes away from the hole. 
if you hit it 300 yards down the middle of the fairway, you might only be 2.7 strokes away from the hole. So in one average swing, you'd get one stroke closer. If you go from four strokes away to 2.7 away, you're three tenths of a stroke better than average. Or if you, you know, hit it out of bounds and then have to re-tee, you're the same distance and you're the same number of strokes away from the hole, but two strokes have appeared on your scorecard. So that out of bounds shot has a strokes gained of minus two. You're two strokes worse than you are because your progress to the hole is zero <laughs> uh, measured measured in strokes, but you've taken two strokes uh, on, on your scorecard. So the advantage of strokes gained is it allows you to measure everything in terms of strokes. So you compare drives and approach shots and sand shots and putts all in the same units. And you get to understand that good shots are fractionally better than average shots, which are fractionally better than, than uh, worse shots. Whereas all of the traditional stats tend to be counting stats. So fairways hit is a simple count of how many times did a player hit the fairway on a par four or par five. And so what that misses is it doesn't distinguish between missing a fairway in the first cut, missing a fairway in the rough, missing it in the woods, missing it in the water, missing it out of bounds. They all count as zero hit fairways. It's a, it's a And it fairway. doesn't tell you how close to the hole you've gotten with that stroke. Absolutely. Um, so all of the traditional stats sort of came into being before computers when you had pencil and paper and you can just record how many putts did somebody take? How many fairways did, did they hit? And so all of them are very crude approximations for, yeah, it's better to hit a fairway than to miss it. But it doesn't tell you how bad your miss is or how good your your when you hit the fairway, how good it is. And strokes gained is really based on this uh, great data set called the shot link data set where you know where every shot starts and where every shot finishes. And that allows you to do this strokes gained kind of uh, kind of calculation. Whereas if you count putts, well, sinking a two foot putt counts as one putt. Sinking a 30-foot putt counts as one putt. So when you count putts, they look identical, but we all know that it's a much better performance to sink a 30-footer than it is to sink a two-footer. And strokes gained will uh, value those unequal putting performances in the right way. Yeah, that's brilliant. So we're going to dig a little bit more into that because I just really want to make sure that listeners get a, a very clear appreciation of how different they are. When we look at the kind of more traditional stats like fairways hit, greens and regulation, up and down percentage and putts per round, we don't really get a fair measure of each skill independently. And what I mean by that, and I'll give an example, is I was practicing last week at my local course and I heard a guy coming off the 18th green and he said to his buddy that he shot, I think he shot 79, but... um he needed to get his putts under 30 because that's really what was holding back his score. And his buddy was saying, yeah, yeah. And, but what they're missing out on, and I know a lot of people do this too, is we've no idea of how many greens in regulation he hit and how many times he was on, or sorry, we've no idea of how far away from the hole his putts were. Because if you're someone who, for example, in one round hits 12 greens 
And then on another day, you hit five greens. Maybe it was much windier or something like that. There's now going to be seven holes where you're chipping from next to the green rather than putting. So you could have similar scores, but very different uh, amount of pots. Yeah. And, you know, generally the more greens you hit, the more putts you should expect to take because when you hit a green in regulation, you might be 20, 30, 40 feet away. If you miss a green and then chip it to five feet, you'd expect to take fewer putts from five feet than 30 feet. So when you hit more greens, you should expect to have more putts, which is another problem with traditional stats that they don't isolate the contribution of each shot. And so greens and regulation and putting are correlated when they shouldn't be. A putt should be measured separately from the shots that got you to the green. Exactly. So another way that we can probably backtrack this to make it easier for the listeners is, so we kind of touched on why putts per round can be a little bit mostly, a little bit misleading in regards to how you putted, because we've no idea of where your putts started from or you know how many say putts you had um, where two putts is good versus where two putts might not be so good. If we then look back at, let's say, up and down percentage around the green or scrambling, which a lot of people do, we've no idea if you hit a really poor chip shot to 18 feet and hold the putt, or we don't know if you hit a chip shot to one foot or if you hold it. And that's going to skew the up and down percentages. And then if we go back to greens and regulation and we see a green regulation number that we're not happy with, well, we don't know if it was a great drive and then you missed what should have been a relatively easy green and regulation, or if your drive was snap hooked into the trees and there was no chance you were hitting the green because of the poor drive. And what strokes gain does, and when we use the the golf metrics app that we're going to touch on a little bit more later, we get a breakdown after each round of exactly how we did in each department of the game and it's measured by strokes so it's you get a you can compare yourself to basically whatever handicap level you want and it will say you lost or gained strokes off the tee you lost or gained strokes approach you lost or gained strokes short game and you lost your stroke or you lost or gained strokes putting and they're all done individually without interference from one or the other. And you can break that, that down then much further into different distance ranges with putting and every length of shot going out from the green. And it gives you a much better insight into exactly how each area of your game is with no um, with no mixing up or interference from the other departments, basically. that That's exactly right. And you mentioned greens and regulation again. And here's you know one example that... Uh, that I like, which is the 2020 PGA Tour season. Um, would you rather have the, the, the money, the, the earnings from the player who was number one for 2020 in greens and regulation or the player who was 76th in greens and regulation? And this is clearly a trick question, so it's got to be what you normally wouldn't think. I think I know who the 2020 leader is too, and I know he wasn't high on the money list. Yeah, it was Jim Furyk, who's yeah. generally a good player, but his FedEx Cup rank was 181st. So he didn't have a good 2020 season. So ranked first in greens and regulation, but 181st in the FedEx Cup points. Uh, 76th in greens and regulation was Roy McIlroy. 
uh, and he ranked eighth in the FedEx Cup point system. So he had a very good season. Uh, but if you just look at the greens in regulation, it would tell you nothing. Did Fjordic play nothing. enough events? Did, did yes. Fjordic play a fair number of events? To yeah, be, he uh, played, yeah, okay. He played enough events too. Um, and so, you know, some of the flaws of greens in regulation, it doesn't distinguish missing a green on the fringe or hitting it in the water. Mm -hmm. uh, for somebody like Rory versus Jim Furyk, it doesn't give you extra credit for hitting a par five and two. So you, you should get extra credit if you've got an eagle putt versus <laughs> versus a birdie putt. Um, and this is a little bit more more subtle, which is the goal is to shoot low scores, not to hit the most greens. So if the goal was to to hit the most greens, if you're 100 yards away and you're a tour player, you would aim for the middle of the green. If you're 50 yards away, you'd aim for the middle of the green. But clearly the players aren't doing that because they realize the closer to the hole you are, the more you have to be uh, pin hunting, and that risks missing a green. And they'll take on a little extra risk for the shorter shots because the reward is worth it. And they're not sitting there saying, how can I maximize my greens and regulation? They're saying, how can I minimize my score? And the two aren't perfectly aligned. Yeah. And about about all greens and regulation can tell you is like, is are you a player who's shooting in the 70s, 80s, 90s? Yeah, you'll see the greens and regulation go down. But it's really a very crude diagnostic tool that you can't really use to diagnose strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, that's perfect. Um Something I wanted to touch on, Mark, because this is a question that's brought up quite a lot, um, is the difference between how strokes gained are calculated for, let's say, a PGA Tour event that is going on live versus how me or you or any people listening who start to track their own strokes gained do it versus a database. Can you can you touch on that, please? Yeah, so strokes gain, as I mentioned, is progress to the hole measured in strokes, but it's how are you doing relative to a benchmark? And you can set this benchmark however you want. You could set it to be PGA Tour benchmark. You could set it to be a scratch benchmark or an 80 golfer benchmark or a 90 golfer benchmark. So strokes gained is how good is the shot relative to a benchmark? And and if you're a PGA Tour player, you want to typically measure yourself against PGA Tour players. If you're a college golfer who aspires to be on the PGA Tour, well, you probably want to measure yourself against a, a PGA Tour benchmark. So the, the benchmark can be different, even though the calculation method is the same. The second thing that's a little bit different on the PGA Tour is because you have, say, 150 players playing on that course uh, in the same day, you can adjust for the conditions. And all and, their shots are being measured, which is what some people right. don't quite realize. Right. So when you know all the shots, you know, okay, if this was a particularly difficult putting uh, course because it has very fast greens or they're very slopey, a lot of undulation, then compared to a benchmark, which is an average across all courses on this particular course, the putting might have been a little bit more difficult. So you can do one further refinement, which is you can take into account the, the course difficulty, both for driving and putting and whatever. But those refinements tend to be quite small. Like putting might go up or down by two-tenths of a stroke, uh, which is a pretty minor, minor adjustment. Whereas if you count putts, 
that two footer that counts the same as holding a 30 footer, you're off by one there because uh, the average from 30 feet is about two putts. And if so, if you one putt from 30 feet, you've gained a full stroke and counting putts misses a full stroke. Whereas this adjustment for the course difficulty is really in terms of fractions of a stroke. Okay. That's great. And when an amateur is using the app, they are comparing themselves to basically a big database of shots as opposed to the live fluctuations that are happening within a tournament. Um, Correct. And I think just a good note too, um, I've, I've picked up on this just from playing myself, is that if anyone does start tracking their strokes gained with the Golf Metrics app is that the app doesn't take into account the difficulty of the conditions you're playing in. It just does it by the raw distances and the lie that you're in. So I think this would probably be a good time just to tell people exactly how you do or what information you need to start tracking your strokes gained. It's actually very simple. All you need is the distance of each shot to the uh, hole. To, to the hole and the lie that you were in. So whether it's a T lie, so you're teeing off, whether it is rough, fairway, recovery, i.e. you're blocked out somewhere, sand, or if it was a penalty drop. And basically, you do this for each hole. So the way that I do it is quite simple. You have the distance of the hole on your scorecard. So if you have a, like, if we use that 400-yard par four, your first shot, you would have 400 tee box if you drive it uh, 270 yards into the rough, the next note that you would need to take down is 130 rough. You hit Which it. you know, you don't actually have to compute the 270. You just say, my next shot is 130 in the rough, and that's all you enter. I, exactly, because most people are going to be either using a range finder or some sort of GPS to get how far away they are from the hole. So that's what calculates your driving distance for you. You don't need to do that. Yep. Let's say you hit your 130-yard shot from the rough Let's just say we put that to 27 feet on the green. We know that our next shot is 27 feet on the green. How do you calculate your distance on the green? Pretty much a pace is going to be three feet, roughly. Yeah. Most of us pace a yard when we take a step, and a yard is three feet. You also don't need to be exact with this. If you're within a few feet, it's pretty much the same strokes gained for for the purposes of getting your numbers and you also get really good at it pretty quickly and then eventually you just write down what your last distance pot was before you hold out and at the end of the round you just basically take the information that you've jotted down feed it into the app and you get your printout of where you gained or lost strokes in driving approach short game putting and then it's also chopped down further into different yardage or feet categories you can also enter it into the app as you go around if you want, but um, you know that's kind of up to the, the person's discretion. So um, what I will actually do with this is, I know that's the kind of part, sometimes that's the hurdle for people. They're a little bit worried about taking more time. I've posted this on Twitter a couple of times, just how I use a scorecard to track my uh, strokes gained when I'm going around. Literally takes 10 seconds after every hole just to note uh, the distance of each shot and the lie and you're going to have calculated the distance anyway before you've taken the shot so you just need to remember it i'll uh, i'll post that on twitter again okay sorry yeah, go ahead I've, I've heard other people you know talk about the advantages or disadvantages There's many people that say i don't want to take out my phone during a round mm -hmm. uh, i'm like i do this instead of having a scorecard 
Yeah. So when I when I finish a hole and I'm walking to the next tee, it takes me 10 seconds to enter the four or five or six shots from the previous hole. And then I'm done. I can forget about it. It's recorded. I don't need a scorecard because it's 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 already in the app. And then when I walk off the 18th green, 10 more seconds later, I have a report on the entire round. But either way, like you said, it takes about 10 seconds to enter the data for a hole. You don't have to calculate anything and you don't have to be that precise. Like you said, if it's 27 feet for the putt, well, if it's 29 or 25, it's not going to affect the strokes gain too much. And where it does matter, you want to do you do want to know the difference between a four foot putt and a six foot putt. But yeah. that's pretty easy. <laughs> uh, if you know your putter is three feet yeah. long, it's pretty easy to get. Uh, yeah. You know, and we're, and we're all and we're all basically six feet tall, like yeah. approximately like or five feet tall. So you, yep. you kind of know that one, too. Yep. Um, OK, we're going to move on a little bit, Mark, just from how to use strokes gained and how the app works in 2014 you released your book called Every Shot Counts, which I highly recommend. It goes into deeper detail on everything to do with what strokes gained is and how to use it to improve your game. The first chapter is labeled, Putting is Overrated, Why Conventional Wisdom Gets It Wrong. Can you provide a little bit more insight into this, please? We sometimes hear that because we use a putter more times than any other club in the bag, it is therefore the most important. Yeah, so counting putts is is not a good measure of the contribution of putting to to a good score. And the reason for that is uh, PGA Tour pros, uh, and even more so for amateurs, will average about uh, 10 tap-ins around. So what matters in terms of scoring is how many times do you have, do you hit a shot? And what skill differences are there between between different players? And so if you have 10 opportunities to hit this type of shot called a tap-in, but there's almost no skill differences, well, that just doesn't matter as far as explaining a good score versus a bad score. So counting how many putts you take and saying it's 40% of all your all your swings or all your strokes is, is sort of meaningless. Um, and all of those tap-ins would get a strokes gained of zero. What would matter would be, you know, how many uh, eight-footers did you sink? Did you sink more than half of your eight-footers? And, and that will contribute to, uh, to a better score. But you can also jump to the conclusions. And so if you take a look at the top 10 in the world at the end of 2020, you'll see names like Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, Bryson DeChambeau. What do these players have in common? They're the best ball strikers in the world. They're not necessarily the best putters. Uh, somebody like Roy McIlroy is known as sort of an average putter. At least he was in the in the 2020 season. Colin Morikawa, not not a great putter. There's almost nobody in that list that you would categorize as a great putter, except maybe Bryson DeChambeau last in 2020. But they're all great ball strikers. Uh, conversely, you can take a look at who were the best putters in 2020. And let me, let me read you that list. Denny McCarthy, Matt Fitzpatrick, Andrew Putnam, Chris Ventura, <laughs> Kevin Na. The number of victories between them in 2020, I think it's maybe zero or one. 
They're all good players. They're all great putters. They're the best putters in 2020. None of them are anywhere near the top 10 in the official world golf rankings. So all the strokes matter, but you can think of, well, doesn't, doesn't putting matter more than that? And one way to think about it is the top 10 in the world are the great ball strikers. They tend to be near the top of the leaderboard most events. And of the ones that are near the top of the leaderboard, the ones that putt the best are often the ones that win. So, for instance, Roy McIlroy had a just just one at, at Wells Fargo, and he had a much better than than average uh, putting event for for him, and he won. So, I think of the the term that the best ball strikers are often at the top of the leaderboard, and the winners tend to be uh, the best putters out of the best ball strikers. That might um, be one of the reasons why you're not a huge fan of the term uh, drive for show and putt for dull. Yeah, they got that one backwards. It's uh, and, you know, Bryson has sort of made this made this famous um, that uh, uh, how much his drives are are contributing to uh, his, his scoring every week. And, you know, Roy McIlroy says his driver is his biggest weapon. It, uh, you, you can't win by driving it well, but you can't win by putting it well. You got to put a number of things together. And the difference between the two is driving, you can gain more strokes, but you can also gain it consistently because it mostly comes from this distance advantage. Whereas putting can come and go, you know, every, every round, uh, you can be hot or not. It's not like, uh, Dustin Johnson, one, one week is 20 yards longer and the next week is 20 yards shorter. He's 20 yards longer week in and week out. Exactly. Can you, um, sorry. So can we go into a little bit then Mark following on from that when comparing players of different standards, usually there is a gulf and skill level across all areas of the game. For example, a tour player will be better than a scratch handicap in all areas of the game. A scratch handicap will be better than a 10 handicap in all areas of the game. And a 10 handicap will be better than a 20 handicap in all areas of the game. When considering these different playing levels, where do you typically see the distribution of strokes come from? So we have a 10 stroke difference roughly between all of those um, standards, basically. So one of the biggest surprises in doing this this analysis, which was analyzing both PGA Tour data and and, uh, big data set of amateur golfers is the surprising regularity that outside a hundred yards counted for about six and a half of those 10 stroke difference, whether you're talking about 80 to 90 or 90 to a hundred um, and about three and a half strokes come from inside a hundred yards. And that sort of two thirds, one third breakdown is really similar across all levels of the game, all the way up to the top of the PGA Tour, where it's a two-thirds, one-third kind of breakdown. And I think it really makes sense because, you know, you you need, there are are big skill differences. And the biggest skill difference, I would think, is in approach shots, which is the category of shots that's hardest to measure by traditional stats. Fairways hit doesn't measure it. Putts per round doesn't measure it. And greens and regulation is kind of a mix of different things. And it's it's also not very accurate, as we talked about before. Um, but if you think of shots outside 100 yards, um, while they all matter, uh, turns out approach shots is one of the biggest contributor. 
And there's just huge skill differences between those different handicap groups that you that you mentioned. So as an example, from 150 yards in the fairway, an average pro will put half of their shots within 23 feet of the hole. An 80 golfer will put half their shots within 42 feet of the hole and a 90 golfer within 56 feet of the hole. So there's more than a factor of two difference between an average pro and a 90 golfer. And that's that's, not even taking into account the conditions that it's much harder conditions with the pro is playing. And that's also just the 50% of their good shots. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's the, it's the break point between half or closer and, and half or further. And that's to try and get rid of the, the outliers, but certainly, like you said, the uh, the amateurs are going to have more tops and skulls and shanks and and whatever than than pros will. Perfect. So, if we um, touch on that a little bit more, just breaking it down further, so we have the two third and one third difference: two thirds from outside one hundred yards, and then one third from inside one hundred yards. How is it broken down from inside one hundred yards? So. That might bring us closer to kind of getting, let's say, if there's a 10-stroke gap between players, can you give us an idea of, so an example would be, there's going to be golfers listening to this who are currently 90 golfers and they want to be 80 golfers. That's probably the biggest, um, you know, distribution here. How much of those strokes come down to putting? How much of those strokes come down to chipping and pitching around the green? How much come to approach and how much come to driving? Can you Can you give us some numbers on that? Yeah, so um, I might be off here a little bit that I I might not have those exactly, but I would think um, that uh, driving was was probably oh, I have to have to look here. Uh, let's say three two and a half to three strokes approaches about three to three and a half strokes mm-hmm. um, typically. And then when you get inside 100 yards, uh, putting might be one and a half strokes and uh, chipping and other shots inside 100 yards might be two strokes. So it's somewhat equal between uh, putting and and short game shots. And it's somewhat equal between approach shots and and driving. But it's it's definitely like a two to one ratio outside 100 yards and and inside 100 yards. Yeah, that's 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 really useful, I think the kind of maybe most eye-opening thing for people there is with a 10-stroke improvement in play, you're only getting about one and a half strokes from potting. And you're only getting maybe another one and a half strokes from short game, which is three strokes of a 10-stroke total. And anytime, I do this all the time on Twitter, I put up a poll or I ask a question or I even just tweet something we always get replies. It's about short game and putting. It's about short game and putting. It's about short game and putting. And really what a big data set shows us is that that's incorrect. That's just mathematically not true. It's not to say that you can't improve with short game and putting or that it's not worth practicing. That's not what we're saying at all. And some people genuinely do have very poor short games and putting. They're not going to fit into the averages. But I think... um, where people fall into a trap is they get mixed up between what can lead to the quickest improvement in their scores with some practice time versus what can actually bring them closer to their potential as a golfer. Uh, very, very well said. Uh, so you hit on a number of, of good points there. One is 
those are averages. And if you are a relatively poor nine putting, poor putting 90 golfer, maybe you could pick up, you know, two and a half strokes by improving your putting instead of one and a half, but you're not going to get from a 90 golfer to an 80 golfer simply, simply by improving your putting in short game. But the other point is, like you said, in terms of practice, it may be easier, uh, quicker in the short term to improve your putting in short game and pick up those one, two or three strokes than it would be in improvements in, say, your long game or driving distance, which which may require more time unless you have ill-fitting clubs or something about that. So definitely not saying don't practice your putting or don't practice your short game. That may be the biggest bang for the buck in the, in the short term. And I know plenty of amateurs that have, first of all, don't take too many golf lessons period, but when they do almost never take a putting lesson, almost never take a short game lesson. And yeah, if that's, if that's an easy one or two shots to pick up, it's like, uh, you know, free money pick, you know, picking it up off the ground, you might as well do it. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, before we move on to kind of something slightly different, Mark, can you touch on how putting is slightly different to the other categories in that it has much more variance and how regularly players of, say, a different or of a lower playing standard can outperform a player of a higher standard when that's not really going to be the case with short game approach or driving? Yeah. So, you know, an average, nice, nice thing about strokes gained on the PGA tour, an average putter has a strokes gained of zero. The best putter might have a strokes gained of plus one, meaning they're about one stroke better with their putting uh, per round. But in a given round, they could gain five or six strokes putting, or you could lose five or six strokes putting. So the variability in the amount that you're gaining or losing per round from putting can be enormous compared to driving. It's, it's relatively small because again, it's sort of these consistent gains. You're either a longer than average driver, or you're shorter than average driver. And most of the variance comes from, well, did you hit five fairways or seven? And did you happen to hit one of, you know, 200 tee shots out of bounds that round, which is going to cost you two. But the, the the variability in in putting in a round is much bigger than the variability in say driving for a round. Uh, certainly at the at the PGA Tour at the tour level. Uh, for the amateur level, I'd say if you want to improve your driving, the the order of importance is number one: avoid the big miss, avoid hitting it into the woods, certainly water and out of bounds. That's the number one goal: is avoid the big miss secondary goal is to hit it as far as you can. And only after that, do you care about fairway versus rough? Because for most amateurs, if you're not in the woods, the difference between the fairway and the rough is pretty minimal. It's certainly less than on the PGA tour where the the rough is generally a little bit uh, deeper and thicker. Yeah. Fantastic. I think, um, a way for people to look at this too, or it's kind of how I've tried to explain it to people before when they've asked me about strokes gained is that if we just consider, let's just say a, let's say an eight foot pot, which is a distance that people feel like, you know, they've a, they've a good chance of making, but they know that they're not going to make all of them. They're probably like 45% or so for an app for an amateur golfer. You can hit an eight foot pot that is really, really good 
and it horseshoes out. You hit a great putt, but it didn't go in. Or you can hit an eight-footer that's terrible. It never had a chance. You missed, you know, by five inches short and you were three inches low. Those, in terms of strokes gained, are going to be the exact same outcome. It took you two putts from eight feet to get in the hole. But we all know that they were a very different quality of putt. Whereas if we consider, let's just say, an approach shot from 150 yards in the fairway, there's going to be a much bigger uh, differentiation and strokes gain between a great shot or a good shot and a really poor or a bad shot. So kind of what I mean by that is a good shot going to 15 feet or 25 feet, like that's going to be rewarded as opposed to your bad shot is, you know, chunked and you end up 30 yards short of the green. The good and the bad shot is easily recognizable in your strokes gain data. The same with a good or a bad drive. You nail one, you know, let's say with a really solid strike that goes 90% of your average driving distance and whether it goes in the fairway or the rough, that's going to be a positive on your strokes gain driving more than likely. And if you hit a terrible one, you know, you, you hook one into the trees, it's going to show up as a big negative. But with putting in the short term, especially, you can have a round where you hit lots of very good putts that don't go in and you get the same strokes gain putting stats as a terrible putting round where you didn't hit anything that was remotely close to going in, but you just didn't three putt them. It was still two yep. putts. Yep. And I think this, this strokes gain way of thinking can open people's eyes uh, into what is a good shot, what's a bad shot, and sometimes uh, helps their strategy as well. So for example, from 80 yards in the fairway, imagine a pin is cut to the uh, right side of the green and just off the right there, there's a bunker. And player just misses the green to the right by 15 feet and it rolls into the bunker versus missing it 15 feet left of the hole. Well, that shot that went 15 feet right of the bunker and rolled it right of the pin and rolled into the bunker loses about three quarters of a shot. <laughs> and when you see that on, on, on the app, it's like, wow, that was a much bigger penalty because you think of it as I just missed by a little. You know, if I had only hit it uh, 10 feet right instead of 15 right, I would have had this nice short break. It wasn't that bad of a shot. But when you see the strokes gain, it's like, oh, the light bulb should go off saying the number one goal from 80 yards in the fairway is put the ball on the green. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you can get it to five feet, that's certainly better than getting it to, to 15 feet. But you've got to be careful and not to take on too much risk if you end up putting, you know, a significant fraction of those shots into into the bunker where the strokes gained is is just horrible. Yeah. Um so something that I've been in touch with you about probably kind of since we first got to know each other Mark the reason I got in touch was increasing club head speed to help a player increase distance is one of the main aims of all the players I work with. Can you give us a breakdown of why distance is so valuable? and how much improvement in their scores amateurs and pros can expect to see from a 10-yard and 20-yard increase in driving distance. Sure. So I, I like to use this example because it applies to like Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson, Roy McIlroy, Bryson. These players that are about 20 yards longer than PGA Tour average. So that includes... Uh, 
some some holes where there's forced layups and they're not actually hitting driver. It's on all pours and par fours and par fives. Uh, imagine a PGA Tour player is 20 yards longer than average. How much does that gain them? Well, the answer is it gains them about a tenth of a stroke per drive. And that's where you got to think in terms of fractional gains and losses. And that sounds puny, <laughs> a tenth of a stroke. So what, 20 yards is worth a tenth of a stroke? Ah, but you have that 14 times around. So that gains of the long driver 1.4 strokes per round. And you say, okay, yeah, but there's got to be a cost from lost accuracy. And the reason bomb and gouge is a misnomer is these players that are 20 yards longer aren't missing every, every fairway. In fact, Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson, they miss about one more fairway per round than PGA Tour average. They hit about eight fairways instead of nine, say. And they don't hit any more of these big misses into penalty situations. Well, that one additional fairway is costly. It costs them about three-tenths of a stroke. That's the difference between hitting in the fairway and hitting in the rough. So now when you take both the driving distance and a loss of accuracy into account, you gain 1.4 strokes from extra distance. You lose three tenths from this one extra missed fairway. You're gaining about 1.1 strokes around with four and a half per tournament for these four, guys. Four and a half strokes per tournament on a regular consistent basis. So that's why Bryson is going for working out and trying to get extra distance. That's that's enormous. That's that's huge. And that doesn't even take into account the knock-on effect. So if you're 20 yards longer and you're hitting from 170, sorry, 150 instead of 170, that's already taken into account. That's where the tenth of a stroke comes from. But if from 150, you're also hitting a shorter club than you normally would from 150, and you can hit that 150 shot better than you were hitting it before, then there's an additional gain in the approach shots, which that's not even counting. But you also asked about amateurs, and the, the answer is 20 yards is worth double or triple that for a 90 shooter compared to a PGA Tour pro. So 20 yards, you know, would be, would be worth, you know, three to, to five shots uh, from uh, just just the added distance, not accounting for the uh, the improvement in in approach shots. So, generally speaking, the uh, the, the gains from extra distance are worth more uh, to higher handicap golfers than they are to PGA Tour pros. Can you touch very quickly on? So you brought into um, into this kind of equation the missing an extra fairway. There's two things that I just want to touch on with accuracy that you'll be able to kind of follow up on better than I will, but that people often, I think, kind of don't really fully understand is that they might see a stat that so-and-so, you know, it's usually one of the big names, like you've mentioned already, is 140th in driving accuracy. And they're like, man, he must be hitting it all over the place. That's terrible. <laughs> but then when you look at, you know, they're 140th on tour. But when you compare that to tour average, it's often they're only missing one more fairway per round. And when you can compare it to the most accurate player on tour, they're only missing two more fairways per round. But they might be 30 yards. They might, or sorry, they, yeah, exactly. But they might be 30 yards longer 
than this person who is, you know, then say the number one or the people who are in the top 10 in fairways hit. And they're, they don't really understand the, the trade off between, yeah, they're 130th or 40th in fairways hit, but it's only a difference of maybe two fairways versus on every hole being 30 yards further up that hole. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I was comparing to the average and you're comparing sort of the long hitters versus versus the short hitters where that that uh, difference, yeah. th- those differences are are magnified. And the other thing, just just to repeat, the longer drivers do not generally hit any more into penalty situation than the shorter hitters. So when they're missing this one or two more fairways compared to the to the more accurate shorter his, hitters, they're not hitting any more into penalty situations, which is which is key. And that's something that's generally not true of amateurs who, you know, might hit one one ball out of bounds, one ball tee shot into the water, whatever. And that those are score killers. And PGA Tour pros are very cognizant of of not doing that. Yeah, something you've touched on before in regards accuracy, Mark, is kind of the the limitations also of measuring accuracy by fairways hit and you using more of a degrees offline model. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? And that might allow people to have a better understanding of, first of all, why sometimes they might have favorable fairways hit numbers versus PGA Tour pros and why when players are hitting the ball so far, they don't tend to hit as many fairways but they're actually not inaccurate relative to shorter hitters. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the variation in, in fairways hit isn't so great going from PGA tour pros to, to amateurs. And, you know, if you only hit the ball 180 yards, the fairway is effectively wider. (laughs) So what's, what's amazing is that these PGA tour pros that are hitting at 300 and 310 yards are hitting as many fairways as they are because they're, their dis- angular dispersion, their left-right dispersion is is so much tighter than, than an amateur. So most amateur golfers that hit the ball, say 200 yards, their degrees left and degrees right can be pretty big, but they're still hitting a fair number of fairways because it's only going 200 yards compared to 320 yards. Yeah, it's not traveling through the air far enough to go offline, basically, versus exactly. if you continue to track that ball another hundred yards on the direction it's going then they're not particularly accurate whereas the tour pro has that extra hundred yards but it's not going any more sideways as such yeah at uh quail hollow in uh friday the the second round uh roy is asked after the round did you did you realize you had the best uh strokes gain tee to green in in years and he gained almost six shots on the field tee to green so everything except except putting um, and so Rory's comment was, I only hit five fairways. There you go. Take that traditionalists. <laughs> so he had the best ball striking round in years hitting only five fairways and he knew it. He's really aware of, of, of strokes gained and, and how that mental calculus works. And he's not worried about hitting fairways. He is worried about, you know, penalties, but, um, yeah, he could have a, a great ball striking round, even even only hitting five fairways that day. Yeah, it's the last thing that I'd like to touch on for this. Um, it definitely applies to amateurs and pros, and I think it will help some of 
just the people who are listening that are fans of professional golf, especially understand why we hear so much talk about speed and distance amongst the pros now. So you touched on that 20 yards um, distance advantage for some of the long hitters like DJ and Rory and Bryson and guys like this over and Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka over the uh, average hitter, they gain approximately four and a half shots per tournament. And then if we, let's just say if we add on that, because now when they're hitting from, let's say 150 yards or 175 yards, they're probably using a slightly more lofted club. So it's again, the knock on effect of that's also an easier shot. And it's probably easier for them on the par threes because they're able to use more loft. So let's just say if the difference is five or six shots a tournament, trying to make up for that five or six shots with skill level in things like putting, chipping, pitching, bunker play, how good you are with your mid irons, how good you are with, you know, longer approaches into greens in terms of the actual skill is basically impossible because, because those players are already so good. It's not a case of the long hitters are long and they're not skilled at all the other elements of the game. They're all exceptionally skilled, but now some of them just have this advantage of being essentially closer to the hole on every approach shot and they're able to use less club from that approach distance. So unless you have an absolutely perfect week in terms of putting and chipping and basically hitting it way inside what would be considered, you know, average with your approach shots, it's just really hard to make that up. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And a lot of the the short game is, you know, the times when PGA Tour pros miss a green, and this is very similar for, for amateurs, uh, the misses tend to be closer to the green that I'm talking about within 30 yards of the hole as opposed to 70 to 100 yards away. And so there the goal is to save a shot. So you miss the green, you're trying to save par. You're not going to win a tournament from 30 yards getting up and down all the time. You, you yeah. can't. You're, you're, you're saving shots. You're not making birdies and eagles doing that. So you can keep a round from going south by by getting up and down uh, more more than average, but you're not going to win a tournament by getting up and down more than other players. Uh, putting is a little bit different, but but certainly the, the the short game shots are to keep a round going, not to um, not, not to not to win an event that way. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, Mark, you work with tour players to try and help them improve. When a tour player gets in touch with you, what is the process you generally go through? So it's it's mainly um, a, a conversation and finding out what what do they think that they need to work on. And I, I like the 80-20 rule, which is I hope that 80% of what I give back to them matches what they just told me. And that 20% then they can believe because the 80% we agree on, oh, well, then what about this other 20% that, that we might have uh, disagreed with uh, uh, a little bit? But it's, it's more a conversation about where can they pick up strokes uh, easiest. And so, so one example, um, going back to, say, 2016, Justin Rose asked me, you know, what do I need to get to be number one in the world? So, okay, well, he was ranked 15th in the world at the time, and he was about a half a stroke behind the world number one player at the time. I think it was it was Jason Day. So 
he needed to get, you know, at least a half a stroke better to like per round to, again, you got to think in terms of marginal gains here, fractions of a shot. And at that level, a half a stroke (laughs) is the difference between 15th and first in the world. So he needed to get, you know, at least half a stroke per round better. And so I went through and said, well, you know, um, you're driving strokes gain wise is great. You're ranked fifth in the world doing that. Your approach shots are great. You're ranked 18th. Your short game, you're ranked 33rd. You're all gaining a lot there. You're putting, you're losing a 10th of a stroke. You're ranked about 126th. So yes, you could improve your driving. You know, instead of gaining eight tenths of a stroke, you could gain one stroke. You know, maybe there's some upside there. Maybe there's some upside with your approach shots and maybe there's some upside with your short game, but it looks like your biggest weakness is, is putting. And then we can even break that down further. He was ranked 170 in short range putts. And by that, I mean zero to six feet. He was ranked 120th in seven foot to 21 foot putts. And he was ranked 26th and 22 feet and over putts. So the longer, uh, the longer putt. So within putting, it wasn't just, oh, you know, maybe you could improve your putting. It was like, you know, if you became either 50th or 20th ranked putting from zero to six feet, you would gain three to four tenths of a stroke. Wow. And from seven to 21 feet, if you went from ranked 120th to rank 60th, or perhaps ranked 30th, you'd gain another one-tenth to two-tenths. So the potential gain uh, just in these short and medium putts, not getting to be the best, but just was, getting to be quite a, you know above average was you know six-tenths of a stroke, say. And um, guess what? In 2018, his putting was six-tenths of a stroke better. <laughs> Most of it was in those two distance ranges. Actually, gained a little bit more and uh, lost a tiny bit in the in the long putts. But he gained six tenths of a stroke uh, by 2018 in his putting, and in those wow. particular distance ranges, working with uh, working you know with a putting coach and you know slightly different grip. Uh, and in 2018, uh, after. He finished third at Bay Hill, won at the tournament called the Fort Worth Invitational. He was tied for second at the Open Championship. And when he uh, came in second at the uh, the Dell, um, uh, the uh, the playoff event, uh, he was ranked number one in – oh, no, then, then he was ranked number one in the world after second place at the BMW. So he had a bunch of good finishes in 2018 and at the, uh, the BMW playoff event – uh, his second place finish got him to number one in the world. And you, you can take a look what happened. What was the biggest difference between the end of 2016 and uh, near the end of 2018? Uh, he improved his greatest weakness and he maintained his strength in driving approach and short game. It's fantastic. So he got his, basically, he needed 0.5 of an improvement at least. And he got 0.6 all from basically putting inside 20 feet essentially yes exactly yes that's that's great so when you have identified an area of the game that a player would benefit from improving like you did with justin rose how much input do you usually give on how you think they should go about developing that area is it up to the player and the coach or do you say this is how i think you should spend your time trying to improve this skill 
Uh, I do almost none of that. That's up to the player, up to the player and the coach. Um, so that's what their job is. My, my job is more trying to point them in the right direction and uh, show them where the, the possibilities are, where I think the, 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 the greatest potential is not sort of how to do it. Um, okay. but there, there isn't, there is an exception to that. And, uh, one, one exception was, was Luke Donald and he's a great putter, but his putting fell off in, uh, 2016 or 20, 2017. And, uh, when he heard that, he said, um, and I, and I narrowed it down to a particular distance range, which was like eight to 18 feet, uh, for him. And he said, you know, no, I don't think it's that. I think I'm three putting too much. And, uh, so, you know, I went back, he had a question. He was sort of in, in disbelief that, uh, that, that was the range. He thought it was more his long putts and that he was three putting too much. And so I went back and said, no, you know, your three putts have only ticked up a, a tiny amount, but you're not one putting enough in this sort of crucial eight to 18 foot range. And so then I went into the, the data further and I found out how many putts was he leaving short? And he always used to be the model for me of appropriate aggressiveness on putting. He would leave many fewer makeable putts short than PGA Tour average. He would have fewer 10-footer short, fewer 15-footer short, fewer 18-footer short than PGA Tour average when he was the best putter in the world. When he moved backwards, and backwards means the like 60th in the world, and he had this uh, this little bit of a decline, he went from being more aggressive than average to more conservative than average. He was leaving more of these makeable putts short, which turned out to be perfectly consistent with the mentality of, I got to avoid the three putt. Yeah. As opposed to the mentality of, I need to get this ball to the hole to potentially make it. And so... He then went uh, with his coach, Pat Goss, and they developed some drills to get back his distance control and his aggressiveness. And the next year he was back, you know, in the top five in, in putting. And um, that was, you know, one example where I had a little bit more to, to add than just yep. saying this is a weakness. <laughs> Probably important to, to note for the amateurs listening to that, even though he was leaving but like the word aggressive and the fact that he was hitting more putts past the hole when he was putting better, I'm sure that it's not a case of that they were going very far past the hole. Exactly. And so one of, one of the drills that, uh, you know, he worked on with his coach, Pat Goss, was to set up a rectangle that started a foot beyond the hole and ended two feet beyond the hole. So his goal on different length putts was to roll, and they had a fake hole. So yeah. roll over this fake hole. The goal was to have the ball roll over the fake hole and get into the rectangle, which was at least a foot beyond, but not roll more than the the two feet beyond beyond the hole. And these are on fairly fairly level level putts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, most amateurs, I always say, the key is you don't want to leave short putts short, but that doesn't mean ram it 10 feet, you know yeah. ram the five foot or 10 feet beyond the hole yeah because the f the faster a ball is traveling as it as it makes contact with a hole essentially the smaller the hole is that's right of, and, of, of course yeah and and if you end up you know 
building up three putts from, you know, let's say 10, 15, 20 feet from hitting it too hard, it will also counteract the potential of one putts that you have. But that's a different uh, a different conversation for Luke Donald versus the 15 handicap at uh, the local club in terms of Absolutely. aggressiveness and conservativeness. I just... I just didn't want a, a bunch of amateurs going out tomorrow and, and ramming their, their eight-footers four feet oh, past. <laughs> yeah, so PGA Tour pros, just to set expectations, they three-putt about once every other round. Yeah. Which is almost never. It's not, it's not often. So if, as an amateur, you're three-putting from 5, 10, 15 feet, that's a problem. That's, you want to you work on that for sure. <laughs> um, you, just, you just made me think of something here mark so if we go a little bit further like we all we all know it happens but it it shouldn't and and doesn't happen often unless you're a a high handicap player three putting from i would say let's say inside 15 feet i'm sure it's probably like low 20s or mid 20s when that really starts to become a problem for the average club golfer do you know if more three putts from let's say 20 feet and out 20 to maybe 40 or 50 feet are due to the first putt being too aggressive or being too short do you know which is more common no i don't um well uh one piece of advice is for amateur golfers it's not just is this a 20 foot putt but how much uphill or how much downhill and often the mistake is not hitting an uphill putt hard enough and leaving right. no short and not realizing how downhill this putt is and letting that go away for it. So it's not so much yeah. are they consistently short or long. It's like correlated with not Slow. leading. People, amateurs tend to say, how much does this break? I would say how long is the putt and how uphill or how downhill is it is yeah. number one. Then you might worry about the break number number two, but most most uh, most players um, should spend more time paying attention to how uphill or how downhill the putt is, uh, not to the exclusion of how much left or right it is, but uh, pay attention to to the slope. That's fantastic, Mark. I just have uh, two more questions. What are some of the limitations, if any, to strokes gained and how would you like to see it evolving? So I think one of the limitations is just uh, understanding. A lot of a lot of people think strokes gained is just for the pros, and it really applies to amateur golfers and probably more so that they could get more benefit uh, from strokes gained. Um, but but some of the the limitations, I would say, strokes gained is a method, and it's measuring performance relative to a benchmark and with better data, you can come up with a better benchmark. And so an example would be the strokes gain should be different if you're hitting a lie out of a greenside bunker that's buried, a fried egg. That shouldn't be the same strokes gained if you put it, you know, five feet from the hole as if you have this nice, clean, slightly uphill, uphill lie. That's a data limitation, not a limitation of the strokes gain method. It's like, well, if, if you don't have the data, whether it's a buried lie or not, that's going to be hard. So how could you make strokes gain better? With with better data. If you know more about the, the lie, for example, uh, you could do uh, a, a slightly more accurate job. But I'd say there's a, a Grand Canyon gulf between traditional stats and strokes gained. 
Yeah. And then these kind of improvements on strokes gained are, are, are sort of at the margin. They're, they're helpful, but they're not, uh, they're not going to be like a night and day difference. Yeah. I think too, um, those kind of small things, they tend to get taken care of when you have enough rounds entered in your golf metrics app. Like the way I like to use it is like what I really like about the app is the fact that you can collate whatever rounds you want and see what happens. So for example, you might've had three good rounds recently. And if you add up, you can put those three rounds together and get those averaged out. And you might see that when you play really well, it tends to be, oh, that's when I do this well and this well. And then when you have poor rounds, you might see that it's, okay, when I play poorly, it tends to be because I do this. And that really helps. And I think the more rounds you have, the less likely there is to be, you know, oh, but that was a weird lie. You know, that, that yep. that's not passing the smell test if you five or six rounds uh, where, exactly. you're, where you're averaging out your results. You know, you just mentioned one of the uh, features that's on our future feature list, which is a good round, bad round analysis. So instead of you manually having to take, okay, here are three good rounds, here are three bad rounds, let's do two separate reports and look at it you'll be able to just highlight, say, your last six or 10 rounds. It will then bucket them into what were the, the best rounds, what were the worst rounds, and then what are the differences. And it will give you a sort of this good round, bad round analysis of what do you do well when you're playing well? What do you do poorly when you're, when you're scoring poorly? So that's, that's coming. Fantastic. So, Mark, we have your book, Every Shot Counts, which I highly recommend. I've read twice. I often dig into different chapters when I'm looking for some information. We have the Golf Metrics app, which allows golfers of all levels to easily track their own strokes gained. Where else can people go to learn a little bit more about strokes gained? Or is there anywhere that you recommend they do go? Uh, I, I tweet occasionally on, uh, on, on Twitter. So I'm at Mark Brody. Um, and if, if you Google, uh, strokes gained, uh, in a, in a Google search, you can find uh, a few other, uh, articles. I, I write a, a monthly column for golf magazine and a lot of those they, they put online. So they're not all strokes gained, but, but a lot of them are, are various takes on strokes gained and, and golf analytics. So, if you Google like BrodyGolf.com, you'll find a lot of those articles. And if you just look at uh, PGATour.com, uh, they have all, all the information is there, which is one of the nice things about it. You can see who's leading in strokes gained driving and who's leading in strokes gained approach. And a lot of the different things that we were talking about is is publicly uh, uh, available. And another good website is uh, DataGolf mm-hmm. that uh, that has uh, nicely collated, summarized uh, strokes gained information about players and courses. Yeah, something actually that people can do really quickly, I do this every week, is if you have the PGA Tour app on your phone, which a lot of people do for following the scores, if you click on a player's name, then click on the player's scorecard as it comes up and scroll down the page, you can see the player's strokes gained statistics uh, for the state of the tournament that they're in. And you can see, you might like, for example, Rory last week, he was, uh, I think he gained something like two and a half strokes in driving 
he was in 18th position and he gained about six and a half strokes putting and he was in third position. And it's just interesting to look at the people who are up at the leaderboard. You might see, you know, that basically one person is having a super hot putting week and another person is, you know, actually losing strokes putting and he's hitting it unbelievably. And I just find it's interesting for when you're following golf and especially if you have some favorite golfers, you kind of get used to, well, we know that if so-and-so does this well this week, you know, he's, he always has a good chance. There's, um, I think strokes gained is really intuitive because most fans realize a good shot when they see it and a poor shot when they see it. And strokes gained is a way to sort of translate things that we already know, just quantify it a little bit more. And when, when a player says, I scored the worst I possibly could today, well, what does that mean? It usually means they hit the ball well and they didn't sink a, a bunch of putts. And so when you take a look at the strokes gain breakdown, you can see how well was did they do in their ball striking, how well did they do in their uh, in in their putting, and it it takes what we know to be the case and just translates it into into numbers that uh, I I think are pretty pretty intuitive. Mark, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. I hope the listeners enjoy this, and I'm looking forward to uh, editing it and getting it ready to go out. Thanks a lot, Mark, and talk soon. Well, thanks, Mike, and thanks also for the Fit for Golf app, which has uh, helped me tremendously. I can't uh, recommend it highly enough, and I know, yeah, I'm not paid to say that, but uh, I'm just a happy customer. Well, yeah, you just you just told us, uh, or you just told me before we started recording that in 2005 you were averaging about 250 yards. You noticed that it had dropped to kind of just under. 230 you'd lost about 22 or 23 yards uh from 2012 to 2017 and since you started working out and got stronger you're you're back up around 250 now so you've you've gained distance as you've aged which is uh the message that i'm constantly trying to tell people as possible online well i've i've gained back what i've lost and a little bit more and uh with your help i'm gonna i'm gonna get 10 yards longer this year so uh looking forward to that fantastic you can hold me to that Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks, Mike.